You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Good morning, everybody. How's it going? I hope you're having a good morning. My name is Kevin Ray, and I'm on staff here as the intern this summer. I'm just really grateful and appreciative for this opportunity to speak this morning. And so if you have a Bible, we're just going to jump right into it. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. So I'm going to begin by reading that. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand on the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let the dead bury the dead. You don't hear that every day. And when I first heard I was preaching this summer, I was interested what passage it would be. Then I found out I'd be preaching Luke 9, 57 through 62, where Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. In my head, I thought, oh, great. This is a great passage for the intern to preach on. But anyways, today we come face to face with challenging words from Jesus. But what you need to know is this passage revolves around one thing, and it's this. What does it mean to follow Jesus? See, a couple months ago, I was back at college, and I was talking to my roommate about his spiritual beliefs, and he told me this. He goes, I just follow Jesus. You know, I thought, that's good. I just follow Jesus, too. But as time went on, I began to think, what does it really mean to just follow Jesus? See, a lot of people say they just follow Jesus, but how they do it and why they do it is different, and it looks different. You know, we see in the Gospels that people follow Jesus for a lot of different reasons. Some people follow Jesus for what he could provide. They were hungry and they wanted food. Other people followed Jesus to test him and accuse him. And other people followed Jesus because they said he had the words of eternal life. And see, in our time, not much has changed. We still have a bunch of different people who follow Jesus in different ways. Just look at all the different groups and sects within Christianity. This just further begs that question, what does it mean to truly follow Jesus? And this passage is going to answer that question by demonstrating three qualities of what it means to follow Jesus. And Luke gives us these three qualities and three different encounters with potential followers. Now, some people call these people the wannabe followers or the would-be followers, but the truth, of the, the truth of the matter is we never know if they end up following Jesus or not. And this is intentional. Luke wants to invite readers, other potential followers, you and me, to put ourselves in their shoes and see what we would do when we're chased with these challenging words of Jesus. So the first quality I want to look at is this. Followers get out of their comfort zone. Let's look at verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We pick up in Luke's gospel, and they're on the road. Where are they headed? Well, they're headed to Jerusalem. And in Luke's gospel, Jerusalem always means the cross. Well, we'll talk about that later. But we find ourselves in Luke's gospel in a portion called the travel narrative. And the travel narrative is the largest part of Luke's gospel. 
It spans from chapter 9 to chapter 19, and it details a lot of Jesus' teachings and stories, and many of it is unique to other Gospels. In the travel narrative, we hear the parable of the Good Samaritan. We hear the parable of the prodigal son, the story of Mary and Martha. We learn a lot about Jesus, and so it's no surprise at the beginning of this travel narrative, Luke puts these three encounters Jesus has. He wants to set the tone of what it's like to follow Jesus as he's embarking to Jerusalem. And so we first encounter someone on the road who says, I will follow you wherever you go. And now that's an admirable statement, isn't it? But it's a lot easier to say than to do. It's a bit naive when we think about it, isn't it? See, in my own life, I've said stuff like this plenty of times. I think back when I was 8, 9, 10 at Christian summer camp. You know, I'd be on fire for the Lord. I'd be like, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. When I get home, I'm going to tell all my friends about you. I'm going to change this and that, and I'm just following you now. Until months later, I just forget about them. You know, we also see this kind of uh, theme in the Bible, too. Think about Peter. What did Peter say? Peter said, I will never desert you. To only find himself famously deserting Jesus three times that night. And so Luke makes it clear from the beginning that following Jesus is not easy. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He doesn't have a place to lay his head. This is difficult. This is hard. This is costly. Following Jesus is not easy. Notice this. Jesus didn't tell the man that he could not follow him. Instead, he told him what following would be like instead of painting some glamorized version of it. Jesus is saying, do you know the full implications of what you just said? To go wherever I go? Remember, he's going to the cross, Calvary. Now, Jesus isn't literally expecting those who follow him to become homeless. We saw a few weeks ago in Luke 7 with Jesus and the man with a legion of demons. Jesus freed this man from his demons, and he told him, go home. Tell, tell everybody what God has done for you. So he isn't telling us to become homeless. So what are you getting at, Jesus? What's the point here? And the point is this. Jesus is telling us that following him is not always going to be comfortable. And to follow Jesus requires us to get out of our comfort zone. You know the notion of a comfort zone, right? That picture of home. Think of that image of home. There's no place like home, right? And, you know, home base. Think about somewhere where you don't want to be. What do you say? I just want to go home. I'm uncomfortable here. Having my place is a very important thing for many of us. Yet this way of thinking has got to fall away. It cannot be the dominant concern in our life. We cannot just be concerned about if we're comfortable and relaxed. This isn't about us now. We're following him. And so following Jesus will not always be comfortable. He calls us out of our comfort zone. Why? So we will grow. Because how will you ever grow in your comfort zone? Think about that. Jesus didn't come so that we could remain the same. No, he came to give us a new life, to transform us. And that new life happens at the end of our comfort zone. To better understand this, let's look at Abraham. See, Abraham had this encounter with God where he knew his life couldn't be the same. Abraham's faith required him to surrender his old way and leave the land he was raised in and comfortable with to follow God. He didn't even know where he was going, but he knew he couldn't stay. He knew he just couldn't stay in his comfort zone, and he knew this encounter with God was so real that he just had to go. In Genesis 12, we see that Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Abraham went. Abraham left his home. He considered the cost and went from, cost, or from comfort to costly. And this call, this call that Abraham had 
is the same call we see in this passage this morning. And could we do an assessment just for just a moment? Is there any cost in your life for following Jesus? Have you even considered the cost? You know, this summer, I got to witness the cost. You know, I got the chance to serve with the VBS team. And let me tell you, those of you who were involved, you guys went all in. It was incredible. During the pandemic, it would have been comfortable. It would have been easy just to cancel VBS and say, see you next year. But no, that's not the case, right? We decided we're going to have VBS no matter the cost. We're going to try this Zoom thing out online, and we're going to put together our own curriculum from the ground up. It wasn't easy. It wasn't comfortable. But it was worth it to spread the message of Jesus. And this example just kind of shows you the cost through serving. And we're lucky to have great examples from our volunteers here. It's easy just to stay in our comfort zone, but get this, we cannot remain there if we're going to follow Christ. We must be willing to follow him and put our comfort in the back seat. So the first quality is followers get out of their comfort zone. And the second quality is this, followers make Jesus central. Let's look at the next few verses. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. We see there's no delay in the call to follow Jesus, right? But that's not the shock of this passage. The shock doesn't come from this call of immediacy. No, it comes from this. We have to choose Jesus over family, over our family duties. We see a similar tough teaching in Matthew 10, 24. It says this. Jesus says there, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And these tough sayings from Jesus, they're like a slap in the face. But it's a slap that's supposed to wake you up to shock you into a new level of awareness. Now, is Jesus encouraging a low view of family, your spouses, siblings, children? No. This is the same Jesus who calls us to compassion of even our enemy. This is the same Jesus who rebukes the Pharisees in Mark 7 for their neglect of their parents. So what gives here, Jesus? What's he getting at? And so to answer, these, to answer what he's getting at in these tough passages, I want to look at this from two different angles. First, what it says about Jesus and second, what it says about us. So what do these tough sayings say about Jesus? And let's do a thought experiment for a second. Could you imagine any other religious leader or founder saying such a thing? Saying that they must love him more than their mother or father. Now we can imagine crazy people saying such a thing, right? But honestly, could you imagine any other religious leader or founder saying such a thing? Could you imagine Muhammad saying such a thing? I couldn't. I could, maybe see, I could maybe see him saying, unless you love the Quran and its teaching more than your mother and father, then you're worthy. You know, what about the Buddha? Could you imagine him saying such a thing? Seems not to me. I could see him saying, unless you love the Eightfold Path and its teaching more than your mother, father, then you're worthy. You know, what about Moses? Could you imagine Moses saying such a thing? It seems not to me. Perhaps he would say, unless you love the Lord or the Torah, then you're worthy. The thing is that none of these figures, and to their credit, would ever say, unless you love me more than the most lovable things in the world, then you're worthy. But this is exactly what Jesus says, and it makes all the difference. This is because Jesus is not just another religious founder or leader. 
Jesus isn't just another prophet. No, he's the one that the prophets testified to. Jesus is not just another religious leader or founder. He's the son of God. And what emerges from these tough sayings is C.S. Lewis's great point, and it's this. Jesus compels a choice like no other person in history has. Either Jesus says who he says he is, or he's a bad man. We must make a decision about Jesus. You can say he's crazy. You can say he's insane, but you can't take this middle position that many people do today. We cannot just domesticate Jesus to a religious teacher. We cannot be in a position where we take some of Jesus' teachings, some from the Buddha. We can't just like Jesus to this and that degree. No, we can't do that. We have to make a choice. Either he says who he says he is, and we're with them all the way, or we should be against them. And if you think I'm putting words into Jesus' mouth here, this is the same Jesus who says, either you're with me or against me. Either you gather or you scatter. And this is why today we're put on this uncomfortable ground, but it's holy ground. Because we need to make a decision about Jesus who would say such a thing. So now once we make a decision about Jesus, what does this passage say to us now? And this is what it's going to say. Once we say that Jesus, that he is who he says he is, every other claimant to supremacy in our life must fall away. Everyone has some set of values that they consider the greatest. We are involved with thousands of different things and make decisions about this and that, but there will ultimately be one thing that we desire above all. There will be one center of gravity in which everything else revolves around. You know, maybe it's money. A lot of people are being honest. You'd say, yeah, that's it. That's my center of gravity. That is what every other decision in my life relates to. You know, maybe it's not money. Maybe it's power. Some people don't care about money, but they love seeking power. They love calling the shots. They love being in a position above others. You know, maybe it's not money. Maybe it's not power. Maybe it's the esteem of others. It's so important for many of us that we're liked, isn't it? Just look at social media. We care so much about how many followers and likes we have. In our culture, we spend so much time worrying about what other people think about us. You know, I worked as a camp counselor, and I saw this all the time in high school students. And they were so paralyzed with anxiety because they were just worried about what people thought about them and who they hung out with, that this was the main focus in their life. This was their center of gravity. But we can't just spend our time living in the minds of other people, can we? You know, maybe it's not money, maybe it's not power, maybe it's not the esteem of other, maybe it's your family. See, that's what Jesus is getting at in this passage, isn't he? See, in Jesus' time, family was such a central thing, such a sacred thing in one's life. And not much has changed nowadays, has it? So now hopefully you realize, hopefully you see that all these things I've just listed, they're good. I'm not saying for a second they're all bad or you should not be concerned with them. You know, money can be used for great things. Power can be used to influence others. Your family, as far as I'm concerned, is the greatest family out there, you know? Whether you grew up in a good family or not, you can't deny the effect a family can have or the influence it has. So realize that none of these things are inherently bad. But with that in mind, let's get to the heart of the situation. Whenever you place one of these things as the absolute center of gravity in your life, everything else will go wrong. Whenever you attach yourself to one of these things with absolute tenacity, absolute devotion, everything else will fall apart. This is a hard truth, I know. Look at the things we just talked about. But we need to listen to Jesus here. Because what's Jesus telling us? He's telling us 
The thing is, we must make him the center of our life. And when that occurs, our relation to all these other things will fall into correct alignment. It's only when Jesus is the center of of your life that you can love your family to the max. It's only when Jesus is the center of your life can you properly use your money to the max. It's only when Jesus is the center of your life can you use your power to positively influence people to the max. And this is what Jesus means today. Not that you should hate your family or your wealth, but you should detach yourself from them lest they become idols. And only if we do that are we ready for mission. Only if we do that are we ready to go go and proclaim the kingdom as this passage talks about. So in this second conversation, Jesus is prompting us to make a decision about us, or about him. He's given us no delay. And once we decide that he is who he says he is, we must make him the center of gravity in our life. See, again and again in the Bible, we're called to make God and God alone our focus. And he doesn't want us to be unconcerned about everything else, but rather place him unambiguously first. So we looked at the, the first quality was followers get out of our comfort zone. We just looked at the second quality, the followers make Jesus central. Let's look at the third quality now. And the third quality is followers continue moving forward. Let's continue reading. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those in my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So the final quality is a challenge. It's a challenge to continue moving forward. Once God has saved us, we cannot look back. It's foolish to look back when you're plowing. But however, how often when we start something do we look back? You know, in my own life, since I've decided to follow Christ, I've looked back plenty of times. There's been things where I'm like, I'm done with this. I'm following you, Lord, wherever you go. And then I look back. And the thing about looking back is it can haunt you. You know, your past can haunt you and it can prevent you from moving forward. And you can come to the point where you go, I don't even want to look ahead anymore. But what does Jesus tell us here today? He tells us to keep moving forward. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. So we must not focus on our past, but focus on the one who came to save us. Continue following him. You know, this summer has been a major step forward in continuing for me. If you would have told me a few years ago that I would be interning at a church, I'd say this, you're crazy. But I'm glad I'm wrong. I'm glad I got this opportunity to serve this summer. I learned a lot and I grew a lot through a lot of unique experiences. And I just want to say thank you, Westwind Church. You know, thank you just for the last few years for the hospitality and what you poured into me. It's been a major, uh, just a major development in my continuing with Jesus. And so it's important that we continue moving forward, but continuing forward, let's be real, it's difficult. You need to understand this, though. If you know Jesus as your Savior, as Messiah, he now invites you to be a disciple. And a disciple is this, a student of life. And students, they're not expected to get it right the first time. And as a student, you're learning Now, when you're a student, you first and foremost have this posture of humility. You need to say, I'm learning. I'm learning, and I trust the teacher. I'm all in on this teacher, and I'm learning. So when you stumble and fall, you can't beat yourself up because you're a disciple. You're learning. You keep moving forward. 
Now, the tension you feel as a disciple when you don't know what to do in certain, certain situations just shows you're being true to the call. Some people would say tension is trouble. But I'll tell you this. If you didn't have tension in your walk, then you'd be in trouble. Tension means you're in the game. It shows you're pushing your boundaries and getting out of your comfort zone. And if you're truly going to be a follower of Jesus, then you will face tensions. It's not only normal, but it shows you're moving forward. Following Jesus is a lifelong relationship where you're continually learning every day. See, we talked earlier about Peter's denial of Jesus. He said, Lord, I will never desert you to deny him three times. He messed up. And if we're honest, how many times have we been in Peter's shoes? I know I've been there a few times. Peter knew it. He blew it. He ran away. We see in John 21 that he's fishing. He's back to his old trade. Peter's probably saying, I'm done. I messed up. I, I can't keep doing this. But then Jesus shows up. What does Jesus say to him? Let's read this. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Talking about the fish. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now let's look at this through their perspective for a moment. You know, who feeds the sheep? The shepherd, right? And who was the shepherd of God's flock that we see in the Gospels? Jesus. So when Jesus says to Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, what is he saying? He's saying, be like me, be like me, be like me. Jesus is saying this, you've made mistakes, Peter. It's okay, you're a sinner. Peter, pick yourself up, claim my spirit, get back in the word, dust yourself off, and try again. And so when you leave here today or when you go out into the world and you face tensions of being a disciple and you come face to face with a situation by what you say or what you don't say, you deny Jesus, let Jesus pick you up like he did Peter here. Dust yourself off, seek forgiveness, and get back in the game. So as we're closing, what does it mean to follow Jesus? I think this passage really answers that today. We saw the three qualities of what a follower needs to have. The first quality is that followers get out of their comfort zone. The second quality is that followers make Jesus central. And the final quality is that followers continue moving forward. And today, we've looked a lot of the cost of following Jesus, and it can seem, it can seem weighty, right? But when preparing this sermon, something that Dallas Willard said really just caught my attention. And he writes about how we count the cost of discipleship, but we often forget to count the cost of non-discipleship, of not following Jesus. And not following Jesus cost us the abiding peace and the abundance of life that he came to bring. This cost of not following Jesus might even be greater than the cost of following him. You see, this abundance of life is why Jesus is traveling on the road in the beginning. 
This is why he's having these encounters with these potential disciples. We see in Luke 9, 30 through 31, why Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. So I will read that real quick. So Luke 9, 30 through 31 says, And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now in verse 31, we see this word departure. And that's an interesting word. Why? Well, departure in the Greek is the word exodus. Yeah. So what is Luke saying? Luke's saying Jesus is going to complete his exodus. That's fascinating. Why? You know the story of Exodus, where God heard the cry of the Israelites when they were in their bondage and oppression of slavery. God sent Moses to confront Pharaoh and to liberate them. He took them out of Egypt into the wilderness and established a new covenant with them and gave them instructions so that God, so that they could build a tabernacle so God could dwell with them. And let me tell you this, Jesus and his exodus is very similar, but greater. God has heard our cries, so he sent his only son to liberate us from the oppression and slavery of sin. And so now we may enter into a new covenant and be reconciled with him. That's the gospel, that's the good news, that while we were dead in our trespasses and sin, God, being rich in mercy, has made us alive together in Christ. So let us look at our life and ask, are we following Jesus? Are we following the one who's came to give us this abundant life, who's completed this new exodus? And let us receive these challenging words and allow, allow them to transform us. Remember this, take this away. The demands of following Jesus are great because his completion of his exodus was greater. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. We just thank you for your son Jesus who came and completed his exodus who came to reconcile us with you and that so we can may have a new life, an abundant life through him. And Lord, I pray that these tough words this morning won't discourage us, but rather encourage us to continue following you and see what areas of our life can we just follow you more, Lord. God, we just thank you for your son, Jesus, and we love you so much. We pray that we can continue honoring and glorifying you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.